Should we just pray as we look at God's word together? Father God, we just lift up, Lord, these next few minutes as we just look at this concept of grace, that, Lord, you would open our hearts, that, Lord, you would break down barriers as well, um, particularly, Lord, maybe that more than anything else. Father God, it's all right to listen, it's easy to listen, but, Father God, hearing is a different thing altogether. And, Lord, for some here this morning who may have a real barrier, Lord, against your affection, your love for them and your favour for them, that, Father God, there will be a breaking down of that stronghold, of those barriers, Lord, around our hearts. I pray that for every single one of us. Lord, bless us, we pray, as we look at your word together now, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to put this on the floor, hang on. I dropped the radio mic about three months ago, and Tim Moster told me off, so um, I don't want to drop it anymore. Um, Okay, good. Right, so just going to look at um, this concept of grace this morning. I don't know about you, um, maybe you're the same as us. Um, we're a Christian family uh, for all intents and purposes. Um, however, being a Christian family doesn't mean that uh, our children are automatically in the kingdom of God. They have to make their own choice. Uh, something we remind them of uh, fairly, fairly frequently. But we're at least a Christian home in the sense that mum and dad are Christian. And so as, as good Christian parents, we make sure that we say grace before <clears throat> every other meal. Um, so I don't know if you're a Christian family and you say grace occasionally uh, before dinner. Um, if you're a proper Christian family, you'd say it before lunch as well as dinner. And if you're a really proper Christian family, you would say it before breakfast, lunch and dinner and mid-afternoon snacks. We're a long way from that. And I have to confess that when we sit down to have dinner at the table, um, that's not every day either. I must apologize. Um, I'm hoping it's making you feel better, those of you who are parents. Um, But when we do manage to say grace, I have to confess that sometimes our prayer of grace goes on quite a long time. And we cover everything from politics, not sport, you'll be pleased to hear, um, everything from politics to pastoral needs within the church, things that are going on across the globe. And sometimes we get to the end of that prayer and forget to actually thank God for dinner altogether. Just occasionally, we've had to post-date our grace um, at the end of dinner. Um, occasionally as well, we've uh, mumbled our grace with a uh, mouthful of food uh, as we've got halfway through our first mouthful and realised, oh, we should have said thank you. That was my seamless introduction to the word grace. I'm sure you enjoyed it. Um, today and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be thinking about that word grace. And most people associate it with grace before dinner, perhaps. It's a word that's familiar right across the Bible, Uh, one that's used amongst many Christians. And even culturally, we use the word grace in many different ways. It's a word that's used explicitly uh, over 200 times in the Bible, but of course is shown uh, in many different stories and narratives and uh, explanations and parables many, many more times right across the Old and New Testament. Culturally, the Oxford Dictionary defines grace as elegance of movement, something I have in abundance, You may notice as I walk, you barely hear my feet. Andrea said it sounds like a herd of elephants, which is weird because that's what my mum used to say when I lived at home. Um, Some people use grace as courteous goodwill. You're very graceful towards that person. Um, It's sometimes used as bringing honour to someone or credit to um, somebody or an attractive presence of a person. You grace the front cover of Vogue magazine or something like that. But as is often the case with words... Um, our definitions in English are often quite different to the definitions we find of certain words and terms in the Old and New Testament across the Bible. D.L. Moody once said of grace, grace isn't a little prayer chant before receiving a meal. 
It's a way to live. The law tells me how crooked I am. Grace comes along and straightens me out. And so we're going to be looking at grace for the next three weeks. And actually, on the 28th of May, uh, right in the middle of this series on grace, we're going to see a practical outworking of God's grace through baptism. Joan will be being baptized on the 28th of May. She's not here this morning. And uh, we're going to baptize her over. We'll move that stuff. And we're going to baptize her over there in the corner. And that's a, a, an expression of the grace of God shown through Jesus Christ in her life as he's saved her from her sin and as she's new in Jesus Christ. So what is grace according to the Bible? That's the real question. Not the Oxford, Oxford Dictionary, but what does the Bible tell us about grace? Well, in the Old Testament, um, when God interacted with his people, Israel, the word grace was often to do with deliverance from enemies, affliction or adversity. Uh, sometimes it was used to refer to being enabled to do something, uh, guidance, forgiveness, or perhaps even preservation. In the New Testament, however, the word is used almost always in the context of the way in which God provides salvation for every single person that calls on the name Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament, the Greek word for grace is a word that means favor or blessing or kindness. And and I have to say, when I first realized what the word grace actually meant, it transformed my prayer life. I find myself begging God that his favor would rest on this church, that his favor would be on our family, or his favor would be on our world. That's the kind of connotation of the Greek word for grace. We talk as Christians uh, about grace in this New Testament sense more than the Old Testament sense. And uh, we use it often as a way of describing salvation from our sin. You'll often hear Christians repeating the term, we've been saved by grace. And maybe you don't know what it means. Maybe you're thinking, what does that actually mean? How can you be saved by grace? You may even be thinking, who is she? Um, and that's not actually a joke, because if you're never sure of that, certainly never come across it, well, who's grace and how she's saving us? But what does it mean to be saved by grace? And that's how we talk. We're saved by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, Paul writes this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, by grace You have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are all God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast. We talk about salvation as Christians, how Jesus died in our place on the cross. He was nailed to a cross for our sin. He took our sin on his shoulders so that we could be set free through faith in him and his death and resurrection. But that death was an act of grace on the part of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And it's a really important concept for you to get your head and your heart around Our salvation from our sin didn't come this morning because we worked our way into God's kingdom, because we did enough good works to outweigh our bad. All we're required to do to live forever and be forgiven is to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. No one on this planet can earn their salvation because salvation could only be got for us one way which was the nailing of Jesus Christ to a cross, the perfect son of God who died for us. Only he could go to the cross. Only his father could send him to the cross. I couldn't put him there. My only job is to have faith 
in his death and his resurrection for my sin. And since God sent his son to pay the price for my wrong out of kindness, out of favour between him and us, our salvation, therefore, is by grace. Because it was in the grace of God that he sent his son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him, that's Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. What an amazing verse. Uh, the, the contemporary English version puts it slightly differently. It says, Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so that Christ could make us acceptable to God. That is salvation by grace. Grace, then, is the favour that God shows to us by giving his Son to save us, who don't by nature deserve to be saved by him at all. Grace is the unmerited favour of a perfect, holy God to people who don't deserve it. So what does grace look and feel like? Let me just scan the congregation for a minute. Who's undeserving this morning? Oh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? So many of you to choose from. Um, <laughs> who can take a joke? <laughs> got, I'm gonna, hang on. I always pick on you, Julie. Um, let me see. Who, who do I? I think I'm almost there. Daphne, you're very undeserving this morning. Now, Daphne has done nothing for me this morning, have you, Daphne? Not helped me at all. So, but I'm just going to give Daphne five pounds. And before you're wondering, I don't want it back at the end of the service. Because that would be undermining the point completely, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's why I didn't give you 20, by the way. <laughs> I'm far too tight-fisted for that. But what is grace? Is it not getting something you don't deserve? And not paying it back? Daphne can have that five-pound note. Enns wrote, Grace may be defined as the unmerited or undeserved favour of God to those who are under condemnation. Let me tell you a joke. A man dies, like all jokes start with that, don't they? A man dies and finds himself at the pearly gates. And as he approaches the pearly gates, he meets St. Peter. And St. Peter says to him, right, here's how it's going to work. You need a hundred points to get into heaven. So all you've got to do is tell me all the good things you've done across your life. And I'll give you a certain amount of points, depending on how good they were. When you get to 100, if you get to 100, you can come into heaven. The man says, okay. So he starts with a biggie. So I'm married to the same woman for 50 years, and I never cheated on her, and I loved her deeply with my whole heart. St. Peter says, that's wonderful. That's worth two points. The man says, only two points? Are you kidding? And he said, all right, okay. I attended church all my life and I served in its ministries and I supported it financially with my time and my money. Terrific, said St. Peter. That's certainly worth one point. Well, the man was getting quite worried at this point and he said, one point, okay, all right. I started a soup kitchen in my city and I provided a shelter for the homeless nearby. Fantastic, said St. Peter. That's worth two more points. Two more points, the man said. Are you kidding? At this rate, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. And at that point, Peter very uncharacteristically shouts, Bingo, there's a hundred points, in you come. Thank you. (laughs) 
Somebody started to clap there, bless you. Um, but that's grace, isn't it? I get in because of the grace of God. I'm not going to heaven because I'm any better or any worse than anyone else. There are no good people in heaven. There are no bad people in hell. The only reason you go to one or the other is because whether you've accepted the grace of God through Jesus Christ or rejected that grace. Grace is very different to mercy. Mercy is when someone holds back what you deserve. Think of uh, someone being arrested and being, uh, committing a crime worthy of uh, 20 years in prison. Imagine them going to court and the judge saying, you deserve 20 years in prison, but I'm not going to give you that sentence. I'm going to give you a suspended sentence. That person still deserves prison, but it's held back from them. That's what mercy, mercy is not giving you what you rightly deserve. Grace is giving you what you do deserve. Daphne, no, Daphne's very nice, we got on very well. Daphne doesn't deserve five pounds for the sake of my analogy this morning, but she's got it. God gives us his grace and we don't deserve heaven, we don't deserve our forgiveness, we don't deserve even his love, yet God gives it. Salvation, forgiveness and the new life I have as a Christian is not something that I or any of us deserve, yet God gave his son to save us. Grace giving us what we don't deserve. And this concept is unique to Christianity. In John chapter 1, verse 17, uh, we hear these words, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus entered into a culture 2,000 years ago that taught over and over that salvation had to be earned. That's how people were brought up to see God. You've got to earn the right to be called children of God. And today, that culture is still across our globe in every man-made religion. People are taught from birth right to death that you've got to pull yourself up to where God is. You've got to claw your way into heaven. But when Christ came, he showed a more excellent way, the only way that can offer true salvation. The gospel is that wonderful truth, not that I claw my way up into heaven, but that this holy king stoops low to pick me up and take me home. There's so much more to say, and we'll come on to how God shows his grace next week, but it is supremely in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so why does this concept of grace matter? I'll tell you why. I'm glad you asked. It matters because the grace of God and the living and the liberty and the light of that grace is simply amazing most human beings live fatalistic lives don't they following a belief system that kind of resembles karma where the bad things we do or the good things we do are directly linked to the bad things that sorry the bad things that happen to us or the good things that happen to us we believe often are linked to the good things we've done or the bad things we've done and some christians even fall into the wrong trap of thinking that of god that god only blesses me when I'm good enough. Rubbish. God blesses because God can't help it. Because God loves you. You can hinder the spirit of God. You can hinder how deep you go with him. But you can't stop God loving you. In the Old Testament we read that God's compassion lasts for generation upon generation upon generation. It's true to say that God loves us. Not because we are worthy of it. Or because we cause him to love us. But because it is in his very nature to do just that. Our world constantly creates a culture that almost always teaches about earning, about deserving, and about merit. We climb ladders all the time. 
We climb the social ladder. We climb the career ladder, don't we? We're forever trying to get to the top of this imaginary ladder and desperately disappointed that we're only ever halfway or at the bottom. No one's ever got to the top because it is a lie that you can get there. We create ladders that we climb. We talk of getting to the top of our game. We talk constantly about making something of ourselves. We want to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, and all of that culture leads to stress. All of that culture leads to feelings of inadequacy. It leads to judgment and prejudice. Why? Because it's only when you climb a ladder that you can look down on the people below you. The grace of God turns all that on its head and allows freedom. It allows those who are at the bottom of our culture's ladder to feel valued, to feel loved, even if culture says the opposite. That's why in India, there have been tens of thousands of converts to Christianity from the lowest class of Hinduism. Because after generation upon generation of being told, your family are the lowest, someone went in and said, Jesus died for you. And they left it all behind because there is no ladder in the kingdom of God. Grace sets us free from the oppression of that feeling that says we are not good enough. Grace says no one is good enough, but you are loved anyway. Salvation is offered to you and and as is meaning and help and comfort simply as a free gift. You see, my treasures that I have in my life are not the things that I've busted a gut to earn but the things that God has freely given to me out of love for me. And that's what sets a heart free. That's what makes a spirit generous. And that's what allows me and others to find joy in every situation. Because there are no ladders in God's kingdom. Everybody is loved. All are valued. No one is at the bottom. No one. Grace sets the worst of us free. I've got a very short video to prove my point. Baby 
grace of God is what we hang on to actually above everything else. So I'm going to finish by telling you something that happened to me when I was just 13 or 14. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. Um, I was at the house of a Christian in uh, Chapel Heath or Goodmaze um, where I grew up near enough and um, I used to go to a Christian youth club um, every Thursday evening and uh, we'd have a bit of worship. There'd be a little talk. It was very good but like most 13, 14 year olds and maybe older as well or younger I was feeling pretty rubbish about myself that particular evening. I wrestled when I first became a Christian with the idea that God still loved me. I believe that Jesus came, but I wrestled with the idea that God could still love me. Because every time I sinned, I knew I'd sinned again. I knew I'd disobeyed God. And how could he keep forgiving me, keep loving me? And I remember standing in Nick and Val's house in Chapel Heath. um, And as I stood there, just thinking, feeling flat, Nick came up to me. And he said to me, Gary, I just feel that God wants me to tell you something. I said, yeah. I feel that God wants me to tell you this, that he loves you. And he walked off. (laughs) But what he doesn't realize is that that was the message that I need to hear right then, that precise moment. And actually, as I've gone across my Christian life, that message over and over again is the one that I've continually needed to hear. Not, he's got great plans for you, although I believe that's true for all of us. Not that God's going to do this or God's going to do that. No, no, God still loves you. He still loves you. And so let me end with the same message. Today, God still loves you. You might be the worst of sinners. You might feel like you're the worst of sinners. But God still loves you. You may have been half-hearted in your faith You may feel dry. You may feel spiritually like you're almost on death's door. Maybe you've slipped back in your faith. God, yes, still loves you. You may have a checkered past. You may feel consumed with shame. God definitely loves you. Maybe you've fallen from grace. But in his grace, God still loves you. Not one of us here this morning deserves a thing from the king. But the king is so gracious that he stoops so low to show his favour on all people. Yes, even people like you. Even people like me. Live this week in the liberty and the freedom of the unmerited, unwarranted, consistent love of God. Don't do good trying to earn more of God's love. Do good because God already loves you. His grace is amazing. And next week we'll look even more into this amazing concept. Shall we pray? Father God, we just lift up 
Lord, this morning. Lord, just this so simple yet so life-changing, Lord, thought that we are saved by grace, that you are a gracious God. Lord, all the things we know about your holiness and your majesty are seen through the lens of your graciousness. A God who is willing that none would perish. A God, Lord, who sent his son to stand between heaven and the gates of hell, wishing, wanting, dying, that any and all who would call on his name would spend their eternity with you, forgiven, cleaned. And Lord, for any here this morning who maybe for all of this is just a very new concept, maybe the understanding of it is something that's just something to get into. Lord, maybe you're warming hearts this morning as we talk of this love of God. I pray, Lord, that you would call each one closer to you to know the liberation that comes from having you in our lives. Father, for any here that feels shame, for any here, Lord, that feel that they're not good enough and they're definitely not good enough, that's what they think, Lord. May you just whisper to them words like Nick uh, whispered to me, God loves you. May we live, Lord, in the confidence of that love, not, Lord, fatalistically trying to buy it off you when you've already given it without measure. And I just commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.